Two girls talking. You know what that means. It's time to talk. What's going on in the world? How about your business? How about your life? Let's talk it out. Two girls talking. Hi, everyone. It's Ashley. And it's Anna. And it is no secret that this pandemic has changed the way we live. Um, I know it certainly has for me. And if you have gone into any restaurant or or any store, you will notice that it has also changed the way we work. In 2021, millions of Americans quit their jobs voluntarily. Now, it's been called the Great Resignation by a uh, Texas A&M college professor about two years ago. And God, was he prescient, right? Because so many people have left their jobs without having a new job at all. So why are they leaving their jobs? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today with Mark Hamrick. That's right. He is the Washington Bureau Chief and Senior Economic Analyst for Bankrate.com, also past president of the National Press Club, woohoo, and a Kansas Jayhawk, which I know Mm -hmm. Anna's really excited about. Exactly, just like me. So already, you you know he's brilliant. Uh, he's a friend of mine. I'm so very very happy to call him friend. So welcome, Mark. Welcome very much. Taking time out to talk with us today. I know you're busy and working. It's so great to be with both of you. Thanks so much. Uh, that's a such a uh, very kind intro. It's very charitable of you, but it's great to be with you both. <laughs> so, Mark, we are recording this podcast in mid January. Now, the job numbers, the numbers that the the economy gained were not great, but unemployment did fall. And that is because, of course, as I said, that people are leaving the workplace voluntarily. So why the big quit? Yeah. First of all, we think about the fact that, you know, it's almost like we have to pinch ourselves and look at the calendar that we're beginning year number three of the Mm -hmm. pandemic. And Mm -hmm. uh, so much that seemed shocking in the very beginning has become all too commonplace. And as we speak, because uh, we have cameras, it will not be represented in this audio product. You know, <laughs> we're working from uh, locations uh, where we happen to live, and that's one of the unique aspects of all of this. And so, before Labor Day, which you know tends to be focused around the notion of work and workplaces, uh, we did a survey of bank rate, and that's really our bread and butter is doing surveys of both the economy and of individuals and of experts. And that survey found that over the course of the following year, over the next 12 months, 55% of Americans in the workforce plan to look for a new job. Wow. Uh, and what they were prioritizing was something quite different than what they would have prioritized in the past, not compensation per se, mm-hmm. but they were prioritizing or making the highest priority workplace flexibility and the opportunity mm-hmm. to work remotely or from home. So I think that helps us to get an idea, aside from the physical danger of COVID and the pandemic, that we have had these epiphanies and reckonings that something has changed, much has changed, and what people are willing to accept on the job is now different. Right. I, I have so many questions because I actually find it fascinating. Like I went to my doctor's office last week and in big sign they had there, the whole world is short staffed. Be kind to those who showed up. And my question is, where are they all going? 
Yeah. Well, some of them are staying at home. Uh, many of them are taking new jobs. And we think it's a little harder to quantify this. We think that there's been a higher rate of entrepreneurism in mm. home-based businesses. Uh, mm. And I think that'll be borne out in data that, that'll be uh better verified in the future. And so you reference the most recent monthly employment report, which is the reading we get at the first of every month from the U.S. Labor Department. And it has continued to tell, in some ways, a conflicting story, but, um, and I can get into that, but, but, the, but I think the main takeaway there is that the nation's unemployment rate has recently gone down to 3.9%. It had fallen to 3.5% as the low before the pandemic. So we are almost there. And what we have seen, and this is the conflicting and uh, and somewhat confounding aspect of it, that the number of jobs said to have been added or recovered differs depending on whether we look at the survey data, which is collected from homes or the part of the survey, which is generated in establishments or businesses. Those are conflicting for some reason, and it's highly unusual. Yeah, uh, and and, uh, and and it's a head scratcher. But nevertheless, I think we want to gravitate toward the unemployment rate part of the picture. But there's a lot else going on: a high rate of people quitting jobs and a near record level of job openings. Do you think they're just fed up? I mean, like they're just like what? Like what yeah. is it that's making them quit? Like, is it because some? I mean, like one of the reasons why I quit my um, a PR firm that I worked at was because I was not allowed to work from home. And I wonder, like, so many people are allowed to work from home, so it can't be that, right? So what is it? Well, it is that. I mean, uh, hmm. because uh, because some of these public-facing jobs, uh, you know, do you want to work with the consumer who won't heed that sign in the doctor's office, right? right? Do you want to work with those people? Do you want to be put in the position of being a bouncer when you thought you could be a lovely hostess in the front of a restaurant to enforce, uh, let's say, where's your vaccination card or where is your mask? And oh, by the way, you may have to work till 2 a.m. on a Sunday morning and work mm -hmm. weekends, and you're probably not getting a high level of base pay. So it's a lot of different things. There no yeah. doubt are some people who are staying at home to care for children where day, daycare is hard to come by. Yeah. It's been estimated mm -hmm. recently that there could have been somewhere between 2 and 8% of the workforce out because of either quarantining, testing positive, mm -hmm. um, being sick, uh, oh, wow. or caring for a relative. That's mm -hmm. just recent with this flare-up in Omicron. So uh, I think that if what the health experts are telling us that we could be peaking uh, and that we we'll, can only pray that this is the last variant that will truly be worrisome. Obviously, we have no proof of that. Right. Uh, maybe we'll be in a better place with the workforce. Uh, yeah. But I, I think that I think the worker shortage, uh, the challenges that employers are having retaining and hiring workers will persist for some time to come. So I have two questions, but the second question depends on the answer to the first <laughs> question. We all have bills. I mean, mm -hmm. it's our economy it's fairly strong, actually. You know, it, I mean, Lord knows the three of us live in a in a in a very high cost of living uh, area. We all have bills. So, what are these jobs that are allowing people to 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 quit these high pressure, high paying jobs and 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 stay at home to do whatever else they want? Because Ash and I are both entrepreneurs. Ashley and I are both 
journalists, former journal- Can I journalists. Can just say, thank God we're entrepreneurs. <laughs> like, right, I, right, right. I would have lost my job completely in this. if I was a journalist yes. during this pandemic because of my children. Right. So, I mean, what what's happening now? What What is it that is... You, you still could have been an entrepreneur when the economy, when we did not have COVID and so many people were not. What are we doing? How are we sustaining our lives now? What is the magic? What happened? Well, I think, first of all, you two are a great example of what uh, anecdotally is happening uh, and that the pandemic has really hammered home the idea that what might have been viewed as acceptable in terms of working conditions in the past, is no longer optimal for a large number of people. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is true that there has been a lot of stimulus generated in the system, both by virtue of record low interest rates and actions by two Congresses and two presidential administrations. And our own bankery data uh, indicates that uh, even though uh, the child tax credit ended in December, that households are better off right now with respect to their ability to pay their bills. Uh, And we'll have more on that in the coming days in terms of that survey. But um, I think for the most part, it's not necessarily that people are quitting work, but they're quitting jobs. And Mm -hmm. when you have uh, wage gains that are substantial, unfortunately, broadly not keeping up with the pace of a 7% year over year increase in consumer prices, uh, people are able to shop around for jobs that sort of have that Uh, recipe that they're looking for, whether it's higher compensation, the working conditions uh, that are consistent with working at least sometimes from home. And think about all the benefits of that, which, you know, we've agreed here that we are enjoying in the sense of, you know, you don't have to pay for transportation costs at a time when gasoline prices are high. You can sort of eat your own lunch, don't have to Mm -hmm. figure out which takeout joint or, or white tablecloth restaurant that you might work from. I was always a bring my work, uh, bring my lunch to work guy for the most part. But, uh, you know, th- those are those are situations that save time and save money and to some degree uh, reduce stress. Right. Uh, particularly yes. if you've got family members in the home where you get some benefit from interacting with them. <laughs> exactly. So the second part of that, qu- my question then is who's driving this? Yeah, Who, that's my question, too. Yeah, are, are they are they? You know, the millennials, are they our generation, my generation, you know, Gen X? Uh, it's not the baby boomers. I mean, they're, you know, yeah, they're kind but of not, aging out. To piggyback off of that, too, is that who's driving it? And also, like, it, do you think some of it could just be like people are experiencing midlife crises no matter what age they are? Like, two of my best friends, like MBAs, brilliant, had huge corporate jobs just up and quit during the pandemic because they were fed up and they didn't want that life anymore. So like who's driving it? And, and like, do you think they're just fed up with the way things have been going? And this was their wake up call. Well, I think it's all the above and anecdotally, as well as some of the data points, the idea that we've probably had somewhere in the range of a low number of millions retire early and they are the beneficiaries of a rallying stock market in the sense of having the ability to judge that they have adequate retirement savings to do that. Um, We have uh, women who have exited the workforce who tend to comprise 
some of the lower paid, uh, more public facing jobs, such as in healthcare, such as in leisure and hospitality, bars and restaurants, hotels, accommodations. Uh, and we know uh, that uh, that moms tend to bear that brunt. I don't have to announce that to you, right? So, <laughs> yes. uh, so uh, as much as uh, those of us who are fathers uh, try to do our part, it, it, it just the universe isn't yet populated that way. Mm -hmm. So I think it's actually all of the above. But if we think about the fact that obviously uh, younger workers who in this case, I'll just sort of arbitrarily define as 40 and younger are still in their relative early stages of their careers, tend to be more financially fragile, tend to be more mobile with their careers they're the ones who need to make more progress with their personal finances. And they are the ones who are more likely to make a decision to benefit themselves in that way. So mm -hmm. I think that, you, as I said, you have some of the more senior workers who are retiring. Uh, and there's a, there's a small percentage of Americans who opt to work uh, well beyond the traditional retirement age. But mm -hmm. uh, I think it really is across the board, but it, but it probably is more um, younger workers uh, and those who were uh, occupying lower wage professions, and particularly those that are public facing and deem more at risk because of the virus. What, what industries are losing the most? Well, we can talk. Uh, we could talk about. Let me just go back to that list: leisure and hospitality, bars and restaurants. These are the ones yeah. where you basically see, you know, the flashing equivalent of a neon sign saying, yeah. "We need help, and please be patient." But yet, you know, across the supply chain, which is behind a good part of the rise in prices, um, we have a deficit or a shortage of maybe sixty to eighty thousand truck drivers in this country. We don't have yeah. enough people to work in the ports. We don't have enough people to work in manufacturing. We don't have enough people to work in construction. And part of the solution there, and you know, with a largely dysfunctional Congress in the sense of bipartisanship hasn't truly been present for many years now. One no-brainer of a solution there would be immigration reform to enable more legal immigration. But that seems to be a bridge too far, uh, even uh, when it's broadly understood that, that we need to have more legal workers in this country by virtue mm -hmm. of immigration. So how bad does it have to get before our lawmakers are like, OK, you know, uncle, let's let, let's really work. Yeah, together. I wonder that because of like the, the all the supply chain issues right now. Like, I mean, like Ann and I have been like I, we're, the grocery right. stores are empty. There's a yeah. truck driver shortage. There's a bus driver shortage. Like yes. what, what, what come like what happens when I can't get my fruit, my 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 eggs, my milk, my prescriptions filled like that that becomes a problem and kids don't get picked up because there's no bus. Like, you know, what what is it going to take to do something? Well, you know, uh, somebody asked me in, in recent days about like what would the impacts be of the Federal Reserve uh, if, as expected, raising interest rates this year. And yes, that can have the impact. I'm, I'm answering your question in a long-handed way. <laughs> that can have the impact of dampening demand, which if you can't address the supply, then you can address the demand by reducing it. But Jerome Powell, as chairman of the Federal Reserve, cannot himself build and supply the world with semiconductors or automobiles. He can't employ individuals at the ports. He can't get that problem uh, 
resolved with respect to the truck driver shortage. So unfortunately, I think some of this is going to just have to take time. Uh, I do think here in the Mid-Atlantic, we've been sort of, even though, you know, in the scheme of things relative to other climates, uh, we haven't had that much snow, but for us, we've had a lot. And, that, and yeah. that's just adding insult mm-hmm. to injury with respect right. to the uh, supply chain uh, issues. So, you know, we did uh, just publish a series of stories at bankrate.com uh, summing up our quarterly economist survey. And one of the things the economists are in agreement about, uh, they do believe that these uh, supply chain issues should be peaking either now or soon. And mm-hmm. that means that we should get some relief on the inflation front. So it's not only that we want our stuff, but we don't want to pay as much for it. And right. I think there's good reason to believe that we should see some progress there soon. How, how can companies adapt to these massive changes to try to retain employees? Because I feel like they're the ones that are going to be the big losers out of this. Well, it's a complicated answer, right? Because obviously part of it is compensation. And you see something Mm -hmm. like Amazon advertising that they are providing a secondary education benefit, which if it's taken to its logical extension, except for those who might be promoted from within, enables them to actually leave the company. Right. Uh, And and that may well be uh, the solution those employees are looking at. And and you have had the likes of Walmart, Amazon, Target, et cetera, raising pay. I was just breezing through them all the other day. And one of the food court stands was advertising that they're paying twenty two dollars an hour and a five hundred dollar hiring bonus. That's Mm. that's a pretty high wage for fast casual food. But it's not just pay. We remember we talked about at the outset about what people are looking for in their work. They want to be part of a constructive culture, however you mm-hmm. define that. And and there is something to this idea about people just don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad bosses. Yeah. And, and, then, and then you get to the notion of, I think, the need to uh, encourage and ultimately uh, ensure diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and that has many different flavors to it. But... Um, you know, the, the, the organizations and the managers that succeed and are succeeding in this environment are those that realize that the, these are a complex series of priorities that must be tended to. Uh, and so it's not just raising the pay, because if, if, if you're working in an organization that is deemed to be toxic, it's not enough, right? right. And, uh, and, and you do, in the jobs that allow it, you do want to have that flexibility to work from home. Not every... Not every occupation allows that, but it, but in those that do, it, it can't just be a macho thing about well, we need everybody in the office because of our quote unquote culture. You can have a blend. And my son, who works in uh, workplace uh, uh, training, uh, has said that the research they've seen indicates that those who are most productive are actually have some blend of the opportunity to work from home and work in the office both. Mm. It's not just always in the office or being at home, but but uh, having some mix. So, you know, the pandemic's been a horrible thing. Uh, you know, that's obvious, but there will have been some benefits to it. And, and I think uh, some uh, more enlightened views about what work ought to be may well be one of those positives. Why did it take so long? I mean, why did it, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. workforce in many different um, uh, industries 
has been toxic. I mean, that it, it, it's uh, there's always been bad bosses out there. But why did mm-hmm. it take so long? Why did it take a pandemic? And I guess the, the, the converse of that question is, why did it take so long for employees to, to stand up for themselves? Um, yeah. And why did it take so long for employers to actually have appreciation for who does the work? I mean, what's wrong with us? It's almost like we were zombies. Like, yeah. like, like people now used to commute to work two hours and back. Can you fathom someone doing that now? They don't have the tolerance for it now. And yeah. so, yeah, what's wrong with us? Like, what did take so long? Yes. Anna and I actually, nothing's wrong with us because we <laughs> we started exactly. our businesses well yeah. before the pandemic. <laughs> but everybody else, what's wrong with them? <laughs> Well, uh, of course, not everyone has the traditional levers to fight back, right? And not right. everyone has the opportunity to perhaps forego some income in the early going to start their own home-based business, because that is an investment that may or may not pay off immediately. But also yeah. some of the traditional levers that might have provided, let's just say, workers the power to fight back. Yes. Well, unions have seen uh, a years-long decline in membership. And so Mm -hmm. if you don't have a collective bargaining opportunity, then it's essentially on the individual and and, uh, the the power of one against a large enterprise uh, doesn't tend to uh, win that war. Globalization is another thing that's dealt workers a setback, particularly in the United States here for a number of years. And we've seen the political response to that, uh, essentially a bipartisan response now in the sense that it's hard to find a member of either party who wants to promote um, uh, a bilateral or, or a multilateral trade agreement. So I do think that, you know, maybe the conditions were already ripe, but it was that the pandemic just highlighted uh, and also, frankly, exhausted people to the point where they're like, you know, enough already. What can we do? to help yeah. ourselves to get that balance of mental and physical health. And, and, uh, you know, I hope that those things stick around for a while. You know, yeah. You, like, you, do you think there's going to be a going back to what it was before, or do you think that the workforce is forever changed? Well, let's put it this way. You know, we think about let's the lessons that we heard communicated to us by older relatives about how things changed in many ways, uh, permanently after the Great Depression. And and there were a series of regulatory responses to that to make banks safer, for example. But people felt that their confidence had been shaken significantly by that experience. Uh, I have to feel like the gravity of this experience is comparable. And it's and that what and this isn't one that um, involved uh a new way of looking at the banking system, but it does involve, as we've discussed, a new way of looking at work. And so anyone who's gone through this, which is all of us Mm -hmm. and and more, will not forget any of this, right? Right. And so those lessons cannot be unlearned. It may be that there are some businesses or establishments that will try to prevail in a tug of war to pull workers back to some degree. But I I don't know what is sort of the ultimate goal of, of trying to reset things if you're able to accomplish what you need to accomplish as an organization and allow workers to have some degree of what they want. That seems to me to be a win-win. So I do tend to think that a lot of this is going to be, as the, as the saying goes, sticky. Uh, and, and I think that's a good thing. Mm. One of the things that 
I think is is, is it, one of the things that interests me the most is that you you mentioned it that so many people and, and women are going into entrepreneurship. So what are these? What are the businesses that you've seen gaining? And I remember that when this all started, um, Mark Cuban again another man who's prescient right there because he said, mm-hmm. "I can't wait to see what entrepreneur small businesses look like on the other side." Yeah, and he's been proven right. A lot of people are starting their own businesses. Well, I mean, I would think that it's a little bit of everything, right? Because it really would be thinking about the idea that people would want to start a business in a realm where they are quite knowledgeable or do well. And so uh, the reality is, while we've tended to focus perhaps as investors and consumers on the largest companies, and those these days are the likes of uh, Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft, and the list goes on and on, predominantly tech companies, but, uh, you know, I think that we need to think about the fact that in the future, you know, the, the would-be Bill Gateses and Steve Jobs are, uh, have already begun. And, you know, there are some female examples in there as well, obviously, uh, who have started their home-based businesses and hopefully will scale to be the next mid-size or giant company of the future that that is quite successful. And so we need to have that spirit of innovation represented in future success. And that's that's vital for not only individuals, but also for essentially the national economy, if we want to look at it from right. that vantage point. Mm-hmm. And and so I think I think it I think it is occurring across the board. Um, and I I think that um, one of the things that is undermeasured and understated and underappreciated right now is that while it's not necessarily showing up in the data, I do think that there's a higher level of productivity being built into the system, and, and I think that's going to be a big plus. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by well, that? Well, for example, just think about the fact that you know I remember one of my friends who works on Wall Street. I asked him a number of years ago. After Superstorm Sandy, which ravaged the financial district of New York, I said, mm-hmm. what's it like uh, working from home? And he says, uh, well, it's great, except I never know when to stop working, right? Yeah, and, I, and, I can and, relate you know, to that. <laughs> right. But, but you know, that's not all bad, right? If, if, if there's sort of the part that has to do with being able to do your laundry and get the work done you need to do all at the same time. So, you know, we, we have... We have technology that is enhanced uh, productivity and video conferencing right. software is a great example of that. You know, the business travel uh, community is not going to love that. But if if one can essentially go from one meeting to another seamlessly without having to take an airline trip and stay in a hotel, and there are losers in that proposition as well, make no mistake about it, but for the economy as a whole, I think that's going to enhance productivity. And so business travel is just one example of, I think, uh, an area where, uh, or business meetings where uh, productivity has been enhanced. And and I'm sure there's still going to be value attached to the notion of in, an in-person meeting. It's important, for example, in the work that I do, um, where I meet with journalists on a regular basis. And, right. and we had to go almost, uh, you know, two plus years now without having sort of that proverbial handshake and cup of mm-hmm. coffee, which right. I hope I can get restored not too long from now. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, some experts are saying that like, you know, these in-person meetings are a thing in the past and like are kind of like time wasters and we can be more productive when we like don't have meetings and don't go in person. And I don't know, like what, what, what would you say about that? 
I think it depends on the function. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, you think about the fact that certain businesses such as movie theaters were technologically obsolete decades ago, right? Yeah. And But yet there's something about the human condition that enjoys the sensory experience that needs that experience. And the same is true of retail, right? We see all, right. we saw a big bounce back for brick and mortar during the holiday shopping season where uh, online was the early winter. And then people wanted that tactile sensory experience to go back to stores. So there is something that is constant about the human condition. And I do think that, for example, in, in sales and in business sales, among others, uh, human interaction in person is important and, and also is learning, right? Because right. that's been that's been the one thing that people have talked about being quite hurtful to children and young people is the inability to learn in classroom. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that that's also a detriment to um, enterprises to the extent that, you know, so many people have been onboarded during this time, but many of them have lacked the human interaction that they typically would have uh, had take place during that time. And, and that probably ends up being a net negative. Hopefully they can make that up down the road, mm-hmm. uh, at least to the degree that it's optimal and they don't have to give up that time at home as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, it has been a really interesting conversation because this isn't going to end anytime soon. No, we're going to have to have you back. Yeah. Love it. Well, yeah. Can't wait. Yes, I'll always love to talk to a fellow Jayhucker. But I mean, it isn't it isn't gonna end anytime soon. And we are it's it's really interesting to see how we kind of all muddle our way through this and, and try to to figure it out. Um, you know, Ashley and I started our businesses way before um COVID ever ever happened. Many though of the reasons are the same as the people who are quitting now. We just mm-hmm. um we just had the luxury of doing it um, earlier. And I say luxury, so, you know, part of it was a uh, necessity, but uh, you know, it's not easy, but as Mark, you and I were talking beforehand, um, I wouldn't give it up. I, I mm-hmm. If I had to do it over again, I would do it, but it's not easy. It is a lot of work. And in many respects, you're going to work even harder than you did in that nine to five job. Yes. Um, but for me, the difference is, now it's it's my choice. Yep. That's my, I feel the same way Anna. Yeah. Like I wouldn't I'll never work for anyone ever again. It's the hardest work I've ever done in my life, but it's the most rewarding work I've yeah. ever done too and I feel like I've found my spot as like a visionary and a creator. I'm where I need to be and I feel like everybody probably has that element in them somewhere, but I think for the two of us it's like 100,000% yeah. aligned fit. <laughs> It, yeah, it it is. I mean, you know, I go back and and, uh, and and you know when I when I see my friends and when I see, I, I and I and I still work at NBC and I love that. But I also when I work overnights, as you guys know, I do. My listeners know I do. Um, I I don't have a I, I like it. I don't have a problem with it. I do. You know, all of these things are things that I choose to do, and mm-hmm. I think I appreciate all the work, all the hard work that I do for Alejo and all the hard work that I do for NBC. I really appreciate it. And even on those incredibly long hours, and if you've been listening to us in the past couple of years, you'll know that I was, you know, uh, I was in Delaware in the overnight hours for the election. I was on the ground in the inauguration a year ago in the freezing cold, all of those times. And I, 
I loved it. I never once said, oh my gosh, I wish I wasn't here. Never. And I think a big part of that is the appreciation that I have for choosing what I do. Yeah. You know, I really do. Well said. Yeah. Well, Mark, tell all of our listeners how they can find you, how they can find uh, Bankrate and how they can find Mark Hamrick. Sure. Well, Bankrate started in 1976, and fortunately, the internet came along and uh, gave us a good home to aggregate all of the data that consumers <laughs> want to find about what, really what they can do to achieve their personal financial goals. And so it's a free site. You don't pay a thing to utilize the information that's on there. And there's everything from if you're going to get a new car loan, you can see what the rates are in your local market or nationally. Uh, and then in terms of the work I do, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Hamrickisms. I'm on uh, LinkedIn and uh, you know, uh, search tools are uh, easy to utilize these days, but uh, I'm on uh, national and local media a lot. So it's, it's not unusual for me to be out there on TV, radio, and in print talking about uh, our latest findings are things that are happening uh, that are relevant to individuals' uh, financial lives. So it's a real pleasure to be on with you two. Such an inspiration to hear the story about uh, your own decision to be entrepreneurs and to innovate. And, you know, that's, I think, one of the great American success stories is that we can do that and mm-hmm. that you've done that. And so congratulations and thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. We enjoyed having you, too. Such a good Thank conversation. You so Thank you, Mark. Really Loved it. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to us. We'll see you next time. Bye.